Psalm 98, go ahead and take your copy of the scripture and turn to that 98th Psalm, if you will. Man, it's a great time of year. I love the holiday season. The only thing I don't like about it is the pine straw. That's probably the only thing I don't like. It's just the time of the year when the pine straw falls. I was thinking of this a moment ago when uh, Dale was talking about all the pine groves. That's great. I love pine grove, but I didn't necessarily love the pine trees or the pine needles. Right now, if you come to my house, you know, it's, it's kind of disheveled looking out in the yard, and I'm hoping to be able to maintain my residency in our neighborhood without them voting me out. But, you know, I used to uh, kid the folks down at Pine Grove that we ought to change, we ought to cut all the pine trees in my front yard of the pastorium and call it Oak Grove. We could plant oaks. No, not Oak Grove. No, Cedar Grove. That's what we need. Cedar Grove. They never shed, right? Cedar Grove. That's what we need to do. But, you know, I love this time of year otherwise. I mean, just to think about, you know, the decorations that come out. And I was thinking this tonight. Marilyn was reminding me of really how this year uh, with, I think, Lynn and Joan, they did a lot of the decorations that are up here. And if you walk around the church, you'll find a lot more. I was down at the Journey Place today and I saw a lot of different characters coming at me, not the children. I'm talking about the the decorations that you would find down there. You'll find them up in the gathering. So I encourage you, you know, to go around, just kind of see what, what they've done. It's a great thing that they've decorated. I love that. Love the decoration of the house. We've just started putting up our tree. We haven't quite gotten there yet, but we started getting everything together. That's a great time. Love the music. Love the music. Uh, when we were on our way back yesterday... Uh, to Ruston, we were trying to find those radio channels that would have Christmas music on them. We just loved to listen to them and listen to all the different songs. I didn't really realize uh, that Jeremy was going to have a hymn selection tonight, allowing you to pick out the songs, because I was going to talk about how, you know, that we have favorite songs. You know, we have favorite songs, favorite hymns, for example, right? That was exemplified tonight. But also we have favorite Christmas songs. And some of you, you can think about it. Some of you, it's okay. I know some of you, it's not as religious as you think. You know, Frosty the Snowman's a good song, you know. Don't feel, don't feel bad about it, you know, if you enjoy that. But there are great Christmas songs, especially the hymns of the faith, Silent Night. Daniel's, he asked a moment ago for Away in the Manger. And I was thinking about this when Joshua was asking for a joy to the world. You know, there are wonderful songs. And Psalm 98 is actually the basis as I, for Isaac Watts as he wrote that song, Joy to the World. It's the basics. I mean, that was the scripture. There were, there were some others he looked at, some in Genesis and all. But this was the primary scripture that he cited when he wrote Joy to the World. To the world. So I want to dig into this because this is an old song. I mean, the Psalms, what we have is basically the ancient hymn book of Israel. This, these are the hymns. They, these were put together by individuals giving their personal testimony, but at the same time to be used in corporate worship to bring the people of God to God to praise him for the great things that he, has, he had done. So look at this with me tonight. Psalm 98, this song that the congregation of Israel would, would bring to God, they would say, they would say, Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. 
For he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have gained him the victory. The Lord has made known his salvation. His righteousness he has revealed in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his mercy and his faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Shout joyfully to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth in song, rejoice and sing praises. Sing to the Lord with a harp. With a harp and the sound of a psalm. With trumpets and the sound of a horn. Shout joyfully before the Lord, the King. Let the sea roar in all its fullness. The world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills be joyful together before the Lord. For He is coming to judge the earth. With righteousness he shall judge the world and the peoples with equity. The song of ancient Israel. And notice what they would do. They, they were coming and they were just inviting individuals to sing to the Lord. Notice again here, all caps means to Yahweh God, the covenant God of Israel. Sing to him. Bring your worship and your praise to him. Why? Because he has done great things. That's what he says, what the psalmist says in verse 1. And notice in particular, it speaks about the victory that this God has achieved on behalf of the people. He is the king and he is the victor. Psalm 98 has been called an enthronement psalm. In other words, it recognizes God as king. That is the central theme. God is the king. God is the victor. God is the one who has acted on the nation's behalf. And because of that, he deserves praise. This victory had been known in the life of Israel throughout all their history. They could go back and they could just talk about the historical work of God. How God had moved in events themselves, historical events, to show his victory and to show his greatness. It's not cited specifically, but certainly the people of Israel, when they would sing this, they would talk about the marvelous things that he had done and how he had worked in the past and how they had had the victory. I bet you the people of Israel would have thought back to the Exodus event. I believe they would have thought back to their being brought out of slavery out of Egypt. They would have thought back how God had worked, how God had parted the Red Sea itself to give them the victory over the Egyptians. I think the people of Israel would have thought back to the conquest of Canaan, how the people would have gone in and thanks to the Lord of hosts leading them, they would achieve victory and bring about the conquest of the promised land. I believe they would have thought about things like Jericho, especially when you look at the language of this later on, it talks about shouting the same language that was used to speak to Joshua, to speak to the people about marching around and shouting toward those walls to see the victory of God realized. They would have seen all of that. They would have recognized that. And they would have known that this God had acted on their behalf to give them great victories that he would have worked in so many ways. Well, even if you had gone up and remembered what Elijah had done there at Sidon. This morning we talked about Tyre and Sidon. And I didn't get to this, but Elijah was the patron prophet of the area around Nazareth. In other words, Mount Carmel 
is just just right by Nazareth. Those of you who are going to Israel with me, uh, we're going we're to stand on Mount Carmel and you'll kind of look and you'll see Nazareth in the shadows. And Elijah, the story would have been told over and over in Nazareth about how Elijah had defeated the Baalist priest there on Mount Carmel. But even before that, Elijah had gone up, he had gone right up into the Baalist country, the Baalist territory. He had gone right into the very home of Jezebel herself. And what did he do? He showed that God could bring life to a widow's son, even though it was in a pagan territory. You see, over and over again, God had shown his victory. God had demonstrated how he was the most powerful, how he was the one who could demonstrate authority over anything or anybody. And the people of Israel remembered that. And they could shout that forth. They could praise him for the great things that he's done. I want to stop just a moment. And I want you to think about the victories that God has given us. I mean, not just... Not just individually, but I'm talking about the church itself over the last 2,000 years. Think about all the things that, ha- that, has, that have come against the church and how the church has continued to move forth, spreading the gospel and the good news. The cross, the resurrection, and then in the New Testament age, when so much persecution was coming, when the religious leaders directed those apostles not to say another word. And yet, in boldness, they stood to proclaim what God had done through them. How God had given victory after victory after victory, and how God still gives us victory today. Listen, today we still praise the Lord for His victory. We still praise Him for the great things that He has done, that He has achieved on our behalf. Because the gates of hell themselves will not prevail against His people against the church. We still know that he's the victor. He's still the king. We recognize that, and we praise him for that. The people of God, they recognize that he had demonstrated himself in historical events and brought the victory that they so desperately needed. Notice it says, the other nations, the ends of the earth, they had noted that. They had seen the salvation of God. The Egyptians... Through the exodus, through the victory of Yahweh God, they recognized that this God of Israel was not just a God, was not just a local deity. He wasn't just a God over a certain land. He was the God over Egypt itself. When the Canaanites met this God, they recognized that he was the one that had true authority. When the widow up in that Baalist area, or maybe Mount Carmel, when the Baalist prophet stood against Elijah, they began to recognize that this God of Israel was the most powerful being in all of the universe, that he was over every other supposed deity. Ask the Assyrians, ask the Babylonians, over and over the other nations began to recognize that this God of Israel, that he was the powerful king. And this is what they would sing about. This is what they would praise God about, that he had been recognized among all 
the nations. And this is what's cool about this as well. Because when you read this passage, it says that he has made known his salvation. That word salvation, it is a form of the word Yeshua in the Hebrew. And you know, in the New Testament, this idea of Yeshua, is this name is given to the one that is born in Bethlehem, our Savior, Jesus. So I don't want to read too, but for us on this side of the, of the Christ event, for those of us on this side of it, listen to the way it reads. The Lord has made known His Jesus, His salvation, His mission and purpose and person, Messiah, Jesus. Yahweh saves. He's made it known. For those of us in this place, we know tonight... That Jesus is the salvation. And we're able to come and praise him for the great things he's done. We're able to praise him because he sent for us a savior. And this is for all the nations to recognize. All the nations to know. So we say, hey, God, we recognize you're the king and you're the victor. And what is our response? Praise. Worship. I mean, that's really what you see in verses 4 and following. Verse 4, shout joyfully to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth in song, rejoice and sing praises. Sing to the Lord with a harp. With a harp and the sound of a psalm, with the trumpets and the sound of a horn. Shout joyfully before the Lord, the King. So the people of God were invited to worship. After all, we're the ones that are supposed to know Him best. And when you know him better and better, all you want to do is just praise him and worship him. When you get to know him better, you want to adore him and exalt him. So it's for all of us to worship. Oh, how the people of Israel, they worshiped. Yes, there were moments in their history where they had fallen away. But let me say to you that when you look at the people of Israel, so often you find them engaged in authentic, true worship. And sometimes it could get loud. I was thinking about this. Jeremy, Chris, Jody, can you imagine how loud it must have been in the temple at times? I, I, I wrote this quote down. It was by a commentator. It said, the noise of temple worship was legendary. I just thought that was simple kind of but it also spoke about how noisy and loud it must have gotten in the temple. When you go back to like Second Chronicles, um, when you look at verse, uh, chapter 29, verses 25 and following, you see Hezekiah coming and restoring temple worship as the way it should be. All kind of noise and trumpets, instruments, people shouting and singing. Let me give you this one. Ezra, Ezra chapter 3, when they had come back, remember, to, from captivity and they were laying the foundation of the temple, listen to the way it's stated. When the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests stood in their apparel with trumpets and the Levites and the sons of Asaph with cymbals to praise the Lord 
according to the ordinance of David, king of Israel. And they sang responsively, praising, giving thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever toward Israel. Then all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord, because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. But many of the priests and Levites and heads of the fathers' houses, old men who had seen the first temple, they wept with a loud voice when the foundation of this temple was laid before their eyes. Yet many shouted aloud for joy, so that the people could not discern the noise of the shout of joy from the noise of weeping of people. For the people shouted with a loud shout, and the sound was heard afar off. I bet they had to talk with the preacher afterwards about how loud this service was, huh? I mean... Look at it. I, you, you just see that the people just, all they could do is just respond with whatever they had. And that's what the psalmist says. The psalmist says, when you begin to think about all the great things that he has done for you, when you begin to see, and, and not just personally, okay? We've got personal victories all across this, all across this sanctuary tonight. You and I could share victory after victory of how God had worked in our lives personally. But hey, again, the corporate victories, if we just began thinking about those things, it would motivate us to praise and worship Him. To use whatever is within us to exalt Him. If we can play a piano, play a piano. Unfortunately, all I ever learned to play was heavenly sunlight. So it doesn't help me much these days. But if you can play an instrument, play an instrument. If you can sing, you sing. Shout to the Lord. Maybe you weep, maybe you... Respond in joy. Whatever it is, you allow it to be an authentic expression of your relationship to the God above. And that's what the psalmist says. He says, whatever you got about you. And I love this about the psalmist because in so many different passages in that book, you'll see where it just invites people to come and to worship with all that they've got. Body, soul, spirit, everything they have. To put it in to that worship event. He says, come worship. The people of God, yes. <laughs> but notice he addresses in particular all the earth. Everybody ought to come and worship. The nations... Yes, as Piper quotes often, the nations should be glad because the Savior has come. And as I said this morning, not for just a select group of individuals, it is for all people, for us to hear and to see, not just one select ethnic group or nation, it is for all nations to come to know God and to worship him. Can you imagine what God is moving us to? I mean, the psalmist here puts it this way about all the nature itself worshiping, with all of creation joining together to reflect the glory of God. But notice verse 9 for he is coming to judge the earth, this judge who is coming. Can you imagine what it would be like? As we see it described in other areas of, the, of those who have trusted from all nations coming together to worship Him. As we sit down 
by people or maybe bow down by people or stand by people from all over this globe to worship the King of all kings and the Lord of all lords. To worship Him. I think it's incredible to even begin to try to comprehend that. And I say to you, if we're going to worship, then we ought to get into practice now. Someone has said this is kind of rehearsal, dress rehearsal, but what is going to come? We should worship him, and we should join with our other brothers and sisters, wherever we are, wherever we get the opportunity to worship with him. Well, you know, they sing a little louder than we do. They get a little more excited than we do. My mom always said, well, she said a lot of things. May I just, some of them I probably shouldn't say again. You know, I'm not sure it's very theologically efficient for me to say it. But she used to talk about people, certain ones that couldn't get along with others in the church and this and this and this. She said, what are they going to do when they get to heaven? I said, what do you mean? She said, these people can't get along with these other people. What are they going to do when they get to heaven? If they get to heaven. What are they going to do? You might, the Lord may sit you, seat you right by those folks. There's not a certain section here and a certain section there. I always thought about that. You know, one of these days, all nations, all tongues, all of us will come together. To rightfully give the glory to the king above all kings. The one who sits on the throne. The one who is worthy. The one who deserves it. We will worship him. And that is just the invitation now. To praise him for the great things that he's done. Just over the way. Two Psalms back. Psalm 96. The same kind of idea. And I want to leave you with this song as well, okay? Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Proclaim the good news of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his wonders among all peoples. For the Lord is great and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods, for all the gods of the people are idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Honor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Give to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Give to the Lord glory and strength. Give to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering. Come into his courts. O worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Tremble before him. All the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. The world also is firmly established. It shall not be moved. He shall judge the peoples righteously. Let the heavens rejoice and let all the earth be glad. Let the sea roar in all its fullness. Let the field be joyful and all that is in it. Then all the trees of the woods will rejoice before the Lord. For he is coming. For he is coming to judge the earth. He shall judge the world with the righteousness and the peoples with his truth. Praise him, for he has done great things.
praise him for who he is. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for this challenge that you've given us this week. Lord, you have hopefully reminded us of great things. And we have committed ourselves not only to see the great things that you've done for us, we've committed already to tell those great things to others. But God, I pray that tonight you would allow us to come back to you and give you the honor and the glory and the worship that you so richly deserve for what you have done. We admit as a people tonight that you've accomplished things we could have never done on our own. And we believe in the days to come we'll still see your authority and your work on our behalf. We believe that you'll still give us victories. And we believe even one day when you come back, when you send your son, the Lord Jesus, Lord, to bring us, Lord, to this consummation of your plan, of your work. Lord, we believe that that victory will be known to all nations. God, I pray until then, you would give us a sense of worship and praise. Lord, I pray that we would see you rightly seated upon the throne and approach you with adoration and exaltation. And God, speak to us even now, challenge us, And help us to commit during this moment of invitation. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand?